Hi, everybody. It's Anna. Thank you for tuning in to the Mighty Littles podcast today. This episode is our first ever practical parenting episode on the Mighty Littles podcast. I am just genuinely excited to bring this practical parenting series to life. I feel that many parents just want the down and dirty nitty gritty tips Both my NICU parents who want to know, how can I be there for my baby? What can I do? How can I interact with my baby? How can I do cares? And for moms with new babies at home, how do I bathe my baby? What are the practical tips for doing baby wearing? Just those, all those practical parenting things. How many times does my child need to take a bath? That is what this segment is going to focus on. This episode is the first of four that are going to focus on connection and touch. I'm really excited that Kim Wells, the founder of BEB Organic and the author of Mindful Touch, agreed to start off this practical parenting series with me. And we are going to really dive in on connection and touch. So What does it mean to have connection with your baby? How can touch and interacting with your baby lead to more connection? And really, how do we do that when our baby is in the NICU? If you enjoy the podcast and you want other NICU moms or baby moms to be able to find us, please like and share. And if you really like us, leave a review. Otherwise, send me feedback over email. I'd love to hear what you guys would be interested in hearing about. I hope you're having a wonderful fall, and I will see you again next time. Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. Kim, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here today to start our practical parenting Uh, focus on touch series that we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. Why don't we start off by having you introduce yourself to the listeners and let them know a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I absolutely love what you're doing and I'm very happy to get to play a tiny role in it. Um, You said my name, it's Kim Walls. My background is in the skincare industry at the intersection of healthcare for literally my whole life. My father founded a skincare company a couple years after I was born. So I grew up in and around it. And at the time, it was one of the first skincare companies to really start working with dermatologists and plastic surgeons about how to complement what they were doing. And in some cases, replace what they were doing with non-invasive techniques to improve different skin conditions and concerns, ranging from aging concerns to burns. And so getting to work with doctors early really helped me understand uh, the value of skincare in their practices and and also the lack of experience there because there hasn't there was no they didn't have any education about skincare. Why would they? You know, they're learning about pharma and surgery and all kinds of other things that I wouldn't know anything about. So it was a, a fun and early introduction into how skincare can play a role in medicine. And then um, early when I was in school, actually, at UC Santa Barbara, I did a program. It was actually a psychology 
program where one of the responsibilities requirements to complete the course was to volunteer. And so they had all this list of volunteer opportunities. And one of them was with a premature baby, premature family um, for touch therapy. And I thought, oh, I can relate to that. I know about touching people and skin. And and that just really drew me in. And I ended up doing that program and, and staying with that family, actually, for a long time, far beyond the, what was required for the course. And that was my first introduction to the world of premature babies and NICUs and the health challenges or potential challenges that exist there. So I just carried that experience through through my life and stayed pretty closely connected to skincare and its wellness function and in its its role as addressing the health of the largest organ of the body throughout my whole career. So at this point, I've founded many brands and um, they all have different purposes. They're all mission driven and cause aligned and different things that I personally am very passionate about. Uh, so that's me. Okay, <laughs> that's perfect. So why don't we talk about one of those lines, which is the BEB Organic or Beb Organic or Best Ever Baby Organic. There's lots of names for it. Uh, personally, or Bebo. Or Bebo, yes. There's uh, like however you come about it. So why don't we talk about kind of where that particular one started since it is so um, integral to the NICU. Yeah. So that started uh, uh, many, many, many years ago. People in the medical community, um, hospitals and distributors, and directly healthcare professionals came to me and asked me to make a natural organic brand of skincare or formulas. They didn't care about the brand. They wanted formulas that could be used on premature and NICU children because you know, as you know, preemie babies can be in the NICU for a long time. NICU babies can be there for a long time. And in the case of children who are born early, the skin is is one of the last organs to develop. So very often it's not a fully formed organ when they come out, which increases risks. On top of it, it's getting picked and prodded and pulled and risk of infection is high with the skin as the barrier, the first line of defense against infection. All these issues where having products that were maybe had harsh chemicals in them, not such a huge deal for a typical labor and delivery ward, but when it came to those NICU babies, it became a really big deal. So they asked me to create products that would meet the hospital standards and have the clinical relevance and go through that process with them. And that was how BEB was born. So it was very much a joint effort when it came to the need and the testing and those processes to come up with these products. And some of the things that are unique about them are uh, the textures. So one of the sort of misconceptions out there, and I don't really know where this comes from, maybe TV shows, things like that, but people tend to think of skincare as something that you rub on the body. And babies don't like to be rubbed. Most adults don't like it either. <laughs> they want pressing. So in thinking about what the texture of these products would be and how to deliver the antioxidants and the nutrients and all the things that we want skincare to have in it in a way that would be good for the experience of being touched in that process, texture was a really big deal. And then, of course, scent and not wanting to have any artificial fragrances or anything that could potentially interfere with the in particular parent-child bond or the neurological development of the infant, any of those things. Uh, and yet still knowing that skincare doesn't smell like nothing, 
So we have to, it has to smell like something. <laughs> and so we were thoughtful about wanting to um, address some of the, some of the challenges around anxiety when it came to how the products smell. So all the ingredients that are used that have a smell uh, that is noticeable have a, a specific calming effect on the nervous system. And that was actually developed jointly with a close friend of mine who does a lot of work in Scripps um, hospital system and has been working with Scent for over 20 years in a clinical setting to help patients through all kinds of things from calming their uh, calming their heartbeat to even increasing blood oxygenation with the overall body pathways. So the scent is considered, the textures are considered, the ingredients are considered, uh, and then you come to process. So how how are these applied and what sequence? There's some fundamental rules of skincare that you have to have water-soluble ingredients and you have to have oil-soluble ingredients and um, still wanting the products to be very simple and each one so that in case there is any kind of irritation, everybody is different, you sort of it can easily identify what, what might be causing a problem and remove that from the system. Right. <laughs> it's an important detail as well. So I wanted to ask specifically about some of the ingredients that you chose and, and some of the scents as well that go with those ingredients because mm -hmm. what I find is that when you have products that are geared towards babies, they oftentimes have a pretty strong scent mm -hmm. that people then associate with their baby, right? Because you yeah. bathe your baby in these scents and you wash their clothes. And so there are these scents that you associate with your baby. And some products have a lot of alcohol in them, which mm -hmm. is a little bit counterintuitive because that's very drying to the skin. Mm -hmm. I would like for you to expand a little bit on that ingredient list and those scents with what you can about how you got them in there so that it's not overwhelming. <laughs> you bet. I love these questions. So a couple of things are that synthetic fragrances tend to last longer because they're designed to last longer. Okay. So oftentimes an essential oil will essentially the scent evaporates, not quite the right word, but it's the same idea more quickly than synthetic fragrances. But then even within the essential oils, you have different methods of extracting the part that has a smell. So for an example, an absolute is going to have a much richer scent that lasts a lot longer than very often a distillation or a different type of scent. So when it comes to a very common misconception in skincare is is people like to think of ingredients like food ingredients. You know, oh, I have my pumpkin and my brown sugar and my eggs and I'm gonna make a pumpkin pie. And it's this sort of direct connection. Right. Skincare is not like that. We have to make, we have to take a plant and then make a skincare ingredient out of it and then use that skincare ingredient to make a skincare formula. And the, the ingredient, you can have one plant that might give you five, 10, 20 different types of ingredients that you can then use for skincare. So the specific type of ingredient makes a difference in how long something smells and how strong it smells. And then also the different ingredients combined will create different smells. Right. So in, since, yeah. <laughs> so since you like essential oils and the aromatherapy component of the world, which you, you have generally in, in formulas, a high, low, medium note um, that you can combine to create different outcomes for the body. 
through the sensory system. Um, so when it comes to our, our skincare, we're choosing the types of ingredients that, you know, sourcing them, producing them in many cases, the types of ingredients that don't stay around long, but that give you that that little burst, very gentle, mellow burst of scent that can then help you calm down a little bit. And my favorite example actually is rose because rose oil has been very well tested to specifically reduce transepidermal water loss, which is a really big deal for Nikki babies because yeah. that skin is, yeah, so permeable and so thin. So the way it works is by calming any time a baby or a person is more calm, they have they lose less water from the surface of their skin. So there's specific studies done against rose to show how we lose less water from our skin surface when we are exposed to the smell of rose. Oh, interesting. So one yeah. of one of the things that I notice about NICU moms and and dads, parents, NICU parents, is that some of those very first initial times that they come into the mm -hmm. NICU, particularly when um, parents have the smallest of babies, mm -hmm. they are literally afraid to touch and interact with their baby. And so I was hoping to talk a little bit about, I'll talk some of the medical pieces of what those first touches look like. That's that practical parenting part. But before mm -hmm. I do that, I wanted to ask you about how our demeanor as a parent, how our nervous system is functioning has a direct effect on how our baby is feeling and what mm -hmm. are the ingredients or the things that are in your product that can help the mom or the dad in calming their nervous system as they're approaching their baby for those initial first touches. I would love to. That is the, that is the, that ended up, the answer to that question and then the need that you saw, the experience that parents are having is truly the driving force behind this brand. For me, emotionally, it's it's why I do it is to help empower parents and to help build confidence and to help build stronger relationships and stronger bodies through the experience of touch. And actually, one of the answers goes back to, I didn't answer your previous question completely. We talked about some of the things that are in, but we didn't talk about some of the things that aren't in. And that's an important part of staying calm and addressing your own nervous system and hormonal system as you go into any scary situation, whether it's touching your baby or or any anything for some Giving people hopping in the car. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's really important to avoid hormonal disruptors in skincare. They're very common, very, very common and, and well studied. And when you're trying to calm yourself down, a huge part of what's going on has to do with the hormone system. You know, are we spiking cortisol? Are we in introducing more of neuro neurotransmitters, serotonin? What's going on with the hormone system? And no matter what we do or what mindfulness we might practice or what approaches we might take to calming ourselves down, if our hormone systems are being thrown out of whack, that's going to undermine our efforts. And so really avoiding hormonal disruptors uh, like parabens in skincare products, personal care products, cleaning products, I think is an important part of thinking about touch and skincare. And, and to your current question, entering into that experience of of touching, engaging with that baby. So 
some of the things are um, remember that I like to share with parents is remembering that we're dealing with our whole body. So what we are seeing, hearing, thinking about our own touch with each other, if there's, if you're lucky enough to have somebody around who's maybe a hand you can hold or who's, if your nurse wants to give you a hug, <laughs> all those things can be incredibly calming. And it is 100% thoroughly studied that we do transfer our energy to each other through the, through touch. So, for example, there have been blind studies done where people will touch each other and they can't see each other. And there's a very high accuracy level of guessing the emotional state of the person on the other side. So recognizing that that touch is the the emotional experience of the touch is transferring and that the person who is receiving your touch can their body will have a physical response. And if you're calm, it will help calm them. And I think just from an anecdotal standpoint, you see that with new parents um, who are trying to figure out how to calm their baby. As the baby gets more and more amped up, you can see the parents, you know, like you're at a restaurant and their baby screaming and then they start to feel a little bit self-conscious because their baby's screaming and then their shoulders kind of hunch up a little bit and they <laughs> bounce a little bit harder and then their face turns a little bit red and now the baby is screaming with their face red, right? So it kind of, they feed off of each other. Whereas when you have parents who are like, eh, my baby's crying, she'll be quiet in a minute, it's no problem, and the parents can stay relaxed and not worry about the rest of the restaurant who's staring at them as they, you know, are interrupting everybody's <laughs> dinner, right? Like, it's so much easier said than done. And and I say this from true experience of my own. If you can just stay calm, then your baby does calm down easier. And, and that's just like one of those anecdotal things. I think it also happens in, in other places too, like on the soccer field where you see one parent getting a little bit agitated about what's happening on the field and it just spreads to everybody. <laughs> Whereas if all the parents are just chatting and happy and, eh, you know, they'll figure it out. It, it just, it's that, that spreads too, right? So anecdotally, mm-hmm. I've seen the, those. Those experiences. Yeah. My husband and I have this. Yeah. My husband and I have this all the time all the time because he gets really upset and wound up because he's freaking out about, you know, worried about what the other parents might be or, you know, don't, he doesn't want to interrupt other people's experience. And I fully recognize that if I get upset, it will make it worse and last longer. But he, like, he, he gets into lizard brain and he'll be like, ah, and then it just spirals off. Yes, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. This had the opposite effect, honey, of what you really wanted. Yep. I think the other thing that I find really, really helpful is to put a space between the stimulus and the response, and to in that space take a really deep breath. And so, and that holds true for everything. When my four-year-old slams my finger in a door. Okay, let me put a space between ow, that hurt and yelling and take a deep breath and realize it was an accident. And then I can be calmer in my response. And, or even, you know, somebody makes you mad because they cut you off in traffic or, or anything that it is, right? You put a space 
between that stimulus and what your reaction is. And I think for parents who are coming into the NICU and they're seeing their baby or they're going to hold their baby for the first time, there's this little bit of, oh gosh, okay, here we go. And it's okay right then to just take a deep breath and have a sense of calm so that you put your energy in the right space to invite your baby into that. I love that. And that is very much part of what I wanted to share as well is I think when when parents recognize how powerful that touch is, it makes everybody like want to work harder to make it happen and to recognize um, that they're, they're truly impacting the future of, of their baby. It's really intimidating. You walk into a room and you have all these people around you who are completely comfortable with Nikki babies. They know exactly what to do. They're comfortable with the wires. The beeps are familiar. You look around and feel like all these people know more than you do about how to keep your baby healthy or alive with all those things. And it can feel really disempowering. I've watched people walk into these situations and just look completely deflated and a lot, and they don't necessarily recognize that they are as, as powerful or more powerful than anybody in the room to encourage healing and development through the engagements that they have with their baby. And it's not just touch, it's talking with them, it's singing with them. But that touch piece is, I think, especially scary because more and more touch is just diminishing from our lives. We have all kinds of new barriers around us, and and it's especially with things the way now, especially COVID, but even before that, um, between men and women, even, you know, what is what is safe and comfortable touching? There's just a lot less um, familiarity and expectation of it, whereas most other places in the world, you'll see things you wouldn't necessarily see in the U.S. You see, you know, two fully grown men walking down the hand, the street holding hands. You'll see yeah. people, just friends, you know, a couple of girlfriends in a in a cafe. I think it's over a hundred times that they touch. In the last study I was looking at in France, touch each other. <laughs> Americans twice. Once with hello and once with goodbye. And right. that's it. We're, and we are, our bodies, our systems are completely reliant on this for development and health. And so when parents recognize the kinds of things and the level that touch really can bring to health, I'll just a quick list is things like pain relief. Touch can help diminish the experience of pain. I uh, recently read a study that it works even faster than a morphine drip. Maybe not as strong as a morphine drip, but quickly because it's instant, it's immediate. Um, it helps with stress and ultimately protecting against respiratory infections. It's a non-invasive thing that a parent can do to promote the overall health. It can make family bonding stronger. There are all kinds of Things, you know, studies showing that families that touch each other more actually also talk with each other more and get through challenges and, and conflict resolution more easily. The value of touch in our lives, as hard as it may be to incorporate it in our current environment, is absolutely enormous. Stabilizing blood oxygenation levels, reducing a rapid heartbeat, super powerful. So I feel like when a parent knows they have all of this potential to improve the health of their child um, and they can do it all the time, it's worth knowing and it makes it easier to want to do it. And that's where 
skincare is an important piece of that to me because they're tools. They're tools for touch. If you're going to bathe or change diapers or give a touch touch therapy or do massage, any of those things, there's a skincare element to all of that. So we're able to educate and empower through that. Right. So why don't I talk now about some of those practical tips for parents that are coming in. And this is just for your very, very first touches for your baby. Um, From a medical standpoint, you got to wash your hands. That's always the first thing that we do when we walk into the NICU. And then I really do strongly believe in that, that just taking a deep breath and calming yourself. Um, And like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, preterm babies, babies in general, but especially preterm babies, do not like rubbing. They really like nice, firm touch. So putting your hand into the isolate, they'll, they have a grasp reflex. So the babies will actually grab onto your hand, hold their hand. You can do nice, firm, steady touches we call them um, hand hugs where you put your hand on their head and then you put their hand on their feet or their butt depending on how they're laying and you just kind of put a little bit of pressure on them not a bunch of pressure you're not squeezing you're just kind of confining them to that space and they they actually they'll you'll kind of feel them wiggle underneath your skin initially and then they'll realize that they have this bit of a boundary and they'll just relax into that hand hug um you want to avoid stroking And for babies that are in the NICU, we try to pair our touching with our care times so that babies have the maximum amount of rest in between care times because they're really just supposed to be growing. Um, And so we'll do all of our touching with care times and let them rest in between care times. And then for mamas who are just aching to hold their baby, I think it's important to remember to be patient. Um, There are some reasons in the beginning of the NICU stay that it just is impossible for me to get your baby into your arms in those first couple weeks of life either because of how much respiratory their support or how much respiratory support they're on or what IVs and access they have in their belly buttons um, or just trying to reduce their risk of having a intraventricular hemorrhage or a brain bleed we know that moving too much in those those first 10 to 14 days can can be detrimental to that. So for mamas who have really little ones, just be patient. We are going to get your baby into your arms. Those are my kind of practical tips for those very first touches in the NICU. And I would love to add to that, that even just that little finger touch without moving them at all, when that is permitted, um, even that transfers energy. And and begins the process of gaining confidence and health from that experience of touch. So even if you can't hold them, know that that just a simple touch is powerful. Right. And and don't underestimate the sound of your voice either. Yes. Babies know the sound of your voice. They've shown that that they recognize parents' voices. And so you know, I think a lot of people want to want to hold their baby right away and and I want you to hold your baby right away too when it's safe. But from my standpoint, sometimes just washing your hands, putting your hand in the isolate, letting your baby wrap their hand around your finger and just talking to them. Hi, sweetheart. I'm so glad you're here. It's nice to meet you. I love you so much. Those little phrases, whatever you want to say to your baby while you're touching your baby, it's going to help you and it's going to help your baby. 
That's awesome. And then we have scent and it's different for different hospitals, but every once in a while um, it's permitted to have to maybe sleep with something or uh, to, to share the scent, both the baby and mom so that, 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 and parents, so that relationship can stay. Is there any, when is that possible? When is there an opportunity to use scent? So usually that starts right away. So oftentimes we'll give moms these little cloths that they can put inside of their bra um, and then they'll switch them out when they come for cares and they just stay in the isolate. And as babies get more and more stable, then those cloths can get a little bit bigger and we can actually do some wrapping of the baby with those cloths so that mom's scent is on the cloth and then that cloth is then surrounding the baby. But that kind of progresses as they get older. At a minimum, you can have the cloth on mom and have the cloth inside the isolate so that it's very nearby, which is still going to have some some transfer of scent. I love that. I love that so much. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of all my interviews, I always like to ask parents um, a couple of questions, and every time it's a little bit different. So for this episode, I'm going to throw at you for our end question. What is the best practical parenting advice you ever received? And what is your favorite parenting tip that you always share with new moms or people who are parents that you meet? So you, you basically already said it. <laughs> when you talked about putting a pause in between an experience, it's, it's a little bit more specific than that. Somebody taught me very early uh, that when my child is upset, when I experiencing myself be upset, that they're upset, the problem is usually that I don't know how to fix the problem. That's generally what's really wrong is that I don't know what to do. And so then I get all wound up. And so this parenting advice was in that moment of pause, which you mentioned before, try to figure out what the actual problem is. Where was, who was the first person to get upset (laughs) and who's responding to the other one? Because when you want to diffuse an elevating situation, you can't start in the middle. You have to go to the source. And sometimes the source didn't even happen the same day. So that was by far the best parenting and probably just communication and life advice I've ever had. It's amazing how all of the advice that... I get around or like books that I'm reading about parenting and interacting with my kids and forming those relationships. Everything I read is a hundred percent applicable to my friendships and my marriage. Um, a hundred, a hundred percent. So, you know, sometimes the power dynamic is a little bit different, right? Like the power dynamic between my husband and I is very different than the power dynamic between my kids and I, but the underlying, advice about putting the space and finding the root of the problem or or really anything it's always applicable to more than just parenting mm-hmm. yeah it's a good one <laughs> yeah well kim i just can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today to start off this focus on connection and touch and i look forward to having you back again next time to focus on kangaroo care well it is my absolute pleasure and honor to be here thank you for having me Thank you so much. You keep saying it, Walt. No. Podcast.